0: All right, we just got a little warning. This meeting's being recorded. So, people, now
1: that you know that you're being recorded, brother, welcome to Cup of Joe. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. All right, so I got to start with you always have uh, an interesting way of telling people what your name is. So, oh.
0: <laughs>
2: it's been, been working
0: since talk. first grade.
2: It's uh, my name is Veeple, rhymes with people. It's people with the V. Once you get it, you'll never forget it. That's like. Did you want to be
1: an aspiring rapper when you were younger? Like, uh, uh, no, I think I might have missed my calling. <laughs> so, so uh, people with a V is people, and um, a member of—I don't know if you, you know, call it the Jared Rundy team, but you know, RPM um, is our official title. What is it? RPM. RPM. Yeah, Rundy the group. All right. And uh, interestingly enough, um, I think you moved out to Vegas. First, is that right? Is that the right order here? So you went, then Jared went and actually. Uh Jared made the move about four years ago. Okay. And so he's been out here for a while.
2: Um he made the move more for personal reasons. Uh You know, he met a a girl he fell in love with and and made the move like many of us do. And he had been out here for about four years building the market and, and you know, just kind of getting situated. And he had reached a position where he was ready to kind of expand and accelerate his growth. And I had, um, at the time I owned a couple of physical therapy clinics, but you know, my background is in mortgages and because of COVID our clinics were shut down and we had been shut down for about six months at the time. And so he asked me to join him out here and help him grow his brand out here and grow his business. And, I can't lie. It was very scary. You know, the sell your house in the, middle of the pandemic, move 2000 miles, not know anyone out here other than Jared. Literally, we, we knew no one. My wife had never come to Las Vegas or Nevada before. So it was a new experience for her. But I will gladly say that it was the best decision we made. We we really, truly love it out here. You know, um, it's a hospitality capital of the world. And what that means is everyone you run into tends to be open and out, outgoing and friendly and, and want to chat. And and because no one is from Las Vegas, I mean, generally no one's from the area, everyone, everyone you run into is open to meet other people and to learn about where you're from and to talk about where they're from and kind of open up. And I think it's just, it's a nice place to be because you can have some great human interactions and, and you know, everyone just wants to meet everyone else. And so it's a
1: great place to be when you don't know anyone. yeah. Yeah, you know, as a visitor to Las Vegas for the last uh, 19 years and probably a good 30 or so trips under my belt at this point, um, you know, that I never thought of that, but I would say it seems completely accurate because when you're in a restaurant, in a bar, in a casino, in a drive, you know, vehicle of some sort, um, everywhere, there's very few that their name tag says Las Vegas right um, you know most stay somewhere else and then yeah they they come with a story you know yep. um, some folks have some amazing stories um yeah
2: yeah i mean there, there's been some that's the thing about it like it, it draws from all over the world so you know it, it i love it i mean i'm a traveler and there's nothing i like more than meeting people from other places i don't know if you can see behind me but that's uh just pictures from the places i've traveled the last couple years i mean oh, there's probably seven countries represented up there so being here where the world basically can commune you know what i mean and and everyone's in a good mood and everyone's happy i mean obviously people lose money but you've been here enough to know that people are still having a good time and people are still enjoying themselves And, and there's just something infectious about that like i had come maybe 12 times before moving here and i mean i came for the same reasons as most people do just to go hang out on the strip to to enjoy uh the festivities, but I hadn't really experienced outside of the strip. You know what I mean? Like coming out to the suburbs and seeing how it is out here. And yeah, it's, it's beautiful because I mean, every third person you talk to came here literally just to build a new life. And, and there's some, and they're optimistic about what their prospects are. And there's something infectious, like I said about that, where we're trying to build a new business, we're trying to gain momentum and all we're running into is other people trying to build and grow and hustle and and it's it's nice you know what i mean like they they it really it's a nice place to be you know what i mean it's a nice incubator i
1: guess is the best way to determine so i promise we'll talk mortgages in the real estate industry but i gotta know um i'm a person that tried to get my wife to move to las vegas starting from like when we bought our first house in 2004 so your wife had never been to las vegas nope um, and you had not really been thinking, you know, months ahead of time. Oh, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to move, you know, cross country and get back mm-hmm. into the market industry. So, I mean, like, that's a hell of a sales tech deal. <laughs> I'm good at what I do. That's Can you clean the, the clothes on that one? Was it a <laughs> clothes or a hard clothes? How long did it take? You know I mean? Like I'm, yeah. I'm kind of being facetious with the terminology, but seriously, like, how did that all pan out for you? It's it's, it's
2: funny because it, it was more of a sales pitch than you realize, because here's the thing about my wife. She grew up, she's born in Rochester, but she spent most of her time living, the, the, her, her, her parents Sorry, have a private beach off of Mullet Lake, and so up in Indian River. And so she grew up on Mullet Lake with a private beach for 15 years. After college, she moved to Washington and lived on a sailboat for two years. <laughs> and so she's a water baby. there's no ifs ands or buts about it like all you know wherever we go we like we go on cruises we go travel where there's water because she just has to have that and truth be told i'm an aquarius and same way i just kind of crave and i love water but you know the the best part was i talked to my partner jared about it and he started sending her video because what people don't realize is once you leave the strip and you go into like summerland it looks like you're in Beverly Hills. You know what I mean? Like the houses are beautiful. The streets are manicured. There's greenery everywhere. Like, and the one thing I think that we both underestimated was the beauty of the mountains. You know, we're both obviously from Michigan. So we appreciate a beautiful lake or a beautiful water view. But the one thing with the water view is you have to be on the water or near the water to enjoy it. Yeah. We live in the valley surrounded by mountains. So it's amazing because anytime you get in your car and you're driving, you have just beautiful tableaus in front of you. I mean, every morning I wake up, I can see the sun rise over the East Valley. I can see its sun over the, the West Valley. And it, it just it is stunning. So I had Jared send her pictures of that. We actually came down for a visit in July when the entire uh, strip was shut down. And we rented uh, electric bikes and just rode up and down the strip and went downtown and kind of showed her what it was about. But I think that was the best part of it, because if she had come with the strip open and crazy, I think she may have had more hesitancy. I brought her when the strip was closed and I showed, because I wanted to accentuate the non-strip life. Cause I mean, let's be real living here. That's what you're focused on, right? We don't go to the strip. I mean, I go to the strip where people visit. That's about it. Yeah. Or for a show or a nice dinner. Um. So that, because the strip was closed when we came, it allowed me and allowed us to focus on outside of the strip in downtown you know what I mean to show what else Las Vegas has to offer and what's nice is it kind of dovetailed into what Jared and I are trying to do you know this is a booming valley and people are moving here from California from Texas from Michigan obviously Iowa but I think one issue that people have is the same issue my wife had or your wife has they don't know what Vegas has to offer once you step off side step outside the strip Mm -hmm. they don't understand that it, it, you know how beautiful it can be or the restaurants or the nightlife that you can enjoy without ever, ever having to worry about a casino. And so what we started to formulate our first plan on for for the RPM team on, on the marketing side was to basically take videos and film all the beautiful spots and all the wonderful restaurants and all the great places to hang out off strip and to show that it's a great place to live because I mean, I can bear witness to that. You know what I mean? Jared's been here four years and loves it. I came here about a year ago now and, I had some trepidation, you know, and I wasn't sure if this is where I wanted to be long term. But within a few months, I mean, I knew that this was uh, a great place to be and, and somewhere I, I could easily see myself, you know, putting down
1: roots. Sure. So that's uh that's a good, I guess, kind of uh, follow up. Do you have kids? Do you wish to have kids? And what's the thought about kids in the area? Because that's the secondary concern from like say my wife and I think many spouses on the female gender side. <laughs> you hit it on the head. And, and that's actually
2: uh, a topic conversation because we are actively looking to to have kids. And that's that was a consideration. And when I first moved here, I I told my partner straight up, I said, you know, if we have kids and I don't feel like it's the best place for them, I can give you five years, but I'm not going to put them in a place where they go to school and I don't feel like they're getting the proper education. I mean, I'm Indian, bro. Education is everything, us, right? Like I will move my family wherever I need to. Yeah. I don't care where. I'll move into a boat on an oil field, you know, oil rig in the middle of the uh, Mexican. I'm uh, sorry, um, the Caribbean. If you tell me that they have amazing schooling, you know what I mean. So that was a consideration that we always uh, had in place. But one thing I have noticed since I've been here is that. Yes. Overall, the Valley isn't the best place to raise your kids. The school is not great uh, generally, but you can find little pockets, little dist- areas where you have amazing schools like Bishop Gorman and Henderson is known as one, you know, a top magnet school. I'm in Summerlin where the schools are, are I would say on par with like a Plymouth Canton, you know, type, you know, so there are, you know, uh, districts where you can find in schools where your kids can get education. I mean, here's the thing, the city's mature. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And that's, it's natural part of progress. As the city matures, as the people that move here mature, they have kids, they want their kids to go to good schools. They don't, you know what I mean? Everyone has the same concerns regardless of where you are. We're all over the world. You know, you want better for your kids than you have for yourself. And, And the people in Las Vegas are no different. So they're actively trying to improve, you know what I mean? The, the, the lifestyle for their kids in terms of school and things of that sort. So I think it was a, a concern when we first made the move, but now that I've been here and I've, I've been able to speak with some parents and meet uh, people that have lived here for a number of years, I think it's it's kind of reduced in, in severity. You know
1: what I mean? Like, I'm I'm not as as nervous as I once was. Sure. All right. So I promise we're we're going to probably circle back to this because I have actually some follow up and and I think it'll lead one will lead into the other. So. That's a little bit of your background, but you just said that you were in mortgages, and then you had two physical therapy locations, Mm -hmm. and now you're back into mortgages, and I'm just kind of, I guess, curious, like, how does that transition work?
2: So, I mean, I can give you the long story or the
1: short story. You want a deep dive on me, or uh, you you want to keep it a little... I got, I got time, brother. Dog uh, right. just joined my conversation, so you speak. Okay. I'll hear you. I'm going off camera for a second to close this door. Well, okay. so keep on going. Yeah, no worries.
2: So, um, you know, my my background. I've always enjoyed talking to people. That's always been meeting people, talking to people. That's always been my, my favorite thing to do. Um, my father brother engineers, so that's what I studied in school. But once I got done, I hated it, and I, I wanted to change. So I went and I I got degrees in marketing and finance because I figured business related, I could talk to people. And so I basically just did sales. I became, uh, after college, I I hustled hard and I became the head of sales, uh, lead sales trainer for T-Mobile in in Michigan. And after five or six years, I was able to uh, get by my own store. Now, that was extremely successful. I was able to hire my friends. Actually, Jared worked with me for a little while. Um, And I kind of got to learn the business side. And it was, it was, it was amazing because, you know, you're, you're working your face off. I'm working a hundred hours a week, you're grinding, but you, you see the benefit, you know what I mean? Like I'm getting the money in and I'm, I'm seeing the financial rewards. So it was great in that regard, but it was 2007 and I was looking at my numbers and they were going down every month. I saw a slight decrease. and So I said, you know what? I was getting great offers. We had the number one store in the tri state area at the time. So I sold high. I luckily sold about a month before the economy. crashed." <laughs> And so um, my original plan was to go back into business, but the economy crashed and I didn't want to invest or start something new at the time. So I took about a year off to travel. I went to probably 15, 20 countries, traveled all over the country, all over the U.S. You know, I had friends all over the country. So I just basically couch surfed and, and saw a lot of our great country. And during that downturn, having, having money in my pocket, having that freedom, I, I guess it kind of gave me a bit of an epiphany and that, you know, uh, maybe the accumulation of wealth isn't all there, there is to life. You know what I mean? Like maybe I need to focus more on helping others. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I kind of came out of that year of travel changed. You know, it wasn't just about making money. It was not just about getting a dollar. It was how can I help someone in the process? You know what I mean? Like where can I find a field where I can make an income to support my family? But also do the best I can for others, and so at the time, obviously, we had a housing crash, and there was you know everyone was looking to refinance and get out of these horrible mortgages. So I joined up with Quicken. You know, I moved out to Scottsdale with them, and I loved it out there. Worked with great people. They had great staff out there. Tim Bergmeyer's amazing. I still love the guy. Um, Unfortunately, I I made a decision of taking a position back in Michigan, moved back. Wasn't for me. Anyways, I, I, I I realized that maybe. The way doing mortgages in that way, you know, selling mortgages the way that a big box company wanted me to sell them removed the ability for me to really provide as much help as I wanted for my clients. You know what I mean? Like in in a big corporate uh, place like that, it's always moving on to the next person. You're always looking at the next deal, the next deal, the next deal, you know, and I wanted to be able to spend time with my clients and truly help them in their situations. And in the process, I, I helped out a guy who was a financial advisor. And so he recruited me to help there. He said, there we can make a difference. You know, I help people put their lives in order. So I went over to financial advising and I found great benefit in it. I love selling life insurance because it's a product I really got behind because it's something that gave you stability and security. Where I didn't think about where I failed is I'm not a gambler. So when you're a financial advisor, your clients expect you to make them a nice return. Mm-hmm. If you trust me with your, all your savings, if you worked your life to make those savings, I'm sorry, I can't gamble with it. I'll get you an amazing 2% return, but I'm never going to go risky because if I lose a dollar of your money, I'm not asleep. You know what I mean? And so as a financial advisor, it's not exactly uh, the right fit. And so I I kind of, you know, and I'd always loved real estate and I'd always kept one foot in the door. Um, I had kind of uh, done, uh, I was a realtor part-time at the time. You know what I mean? I would just help out on the side. And so I decided to go full-time into real estate um, and once again, loved it. I, I love being a buyer's agent, love people, helping people find their, their homes, finding that perfect situation. It was something I really, really enjoyed. Um, but the issue I had, and it's something that had always popped up, is in high school, I played football at Planet Salem, and I ruptured four discs in my back. And since then, I keep re-rupturing those discs. Yeah. And the life of a realtor, as you know, is car heavy, you're driving all over the place, and it was really, really putting some stress on my back and causing me a lot of issues. And one of the clients I had sold a home to was a physical therapist and had been in business for 20 years. And so he started working on me on the side and he changed my life, you know, gave me back mobility. I could get rid of the cane. I I was able to function like a normal human again. And, you know, I was really, I really believed in what he did. He had studied in Amsterdam and it's a little bit different than the normal uh, physical therapy you get in the U S they put their hands on you and it's basically a mix of massage chiropractic care and U.S. physical therapy and we kind of pull them all together and that's how they teach it in Europe and so I became a a believer and so basically I just started you know talking about the gospel of physical therapy and yeah everyone started asking for names and numbers and we partnered up and started opening clinics because you know I wanted to get people right and have them feel better but then obviously COVID happened and that kind of put a damper on things so when Jared called me you know the the big thing that he told me and and the, the one statement that he said That really jumped out was, I want. I'm at a place where my business is at at a point where I can help truly help you. You know what I mean? I don't have to worry about every single deal or, or, you know, trying to maximize and this and that. Like I can truly work with people and and give them the time that I want to, and I don't have any stressors above me dictating what I can and can't do. And so it was something that you know I, I I I really liked because. during that change, what I realized is I stopped becoming a salesperson. I don't sell. I don't sell at all. If anyone asks, I I don't sell. I speak the truth. I I tell you what I believe is the best options for you. If you agree, cool. If not, cool. You know, I'm never going to, I don't push people. I don't harp on them. I don't yell at them or anything like that. I try to give you what I believe is the best information and and you can use it as you see fit. And, And what we found is when we've taken this kind of hands-off approach you know what I mean just more let's say educational than selling i i, I found it, it genders a, a deeper connection you know what I mean like you're, you're coming from a different place because you know I it's almost like you're getting into the opinion of an unbiased third party because at that point you know that you know they can they can speak the truth without it materially affecting them and, and that's how we try to live. You know what I mean? Like if you call me up and, and I think it's a bad move, I'm going to tell you it's a bad move. Sure. And, and that, that's, you know, that's the way we can sleep at night. And that's, honestly, that's the way I look at long-term business. You know, like if you're not treating your clients like they're your family, then you're not going to be in business for that long. You may have success off the jump. You may do really well in the first couple of years, but you're not going to have long-term stability. You're not going to have a long-term business unless you treat people the right way and and they feel comfortable with you
1: yeah. No, so, yeah
2: long story short that that's that's how I got to where I
1: am. no it's awesome it's a good you know it's a interesting you know pathway and, and stuff and um, it's funny because back in 2005 or six um, one of my first you know jobs out of college was at and loans
0: okay and
1: at that time I had a relationship with a lender a mortgage broker because they had done, you know, my own, um, purchase and refinance and then helped me out with, uh, uh a scenario for my parents. And that was like a pretty crazy scenario. So, um, I thought about that, you know, every day that I was working at Quicken and kind of what you just said was I had no real problem with Quicken. And actually, if anything, you know, I don't think they get enough credit for not dabbling with, uh, Subprime mortgages at yeah. the time. Yeah. getting involved in all those crazy things and not doing. I mean, you could at that time maybe get a 580 credit score uh, through, mm-hmm. but you really needed like a 600 to a 620 for most of their products. And this was the time that people were doing 500 credit scores. Sometimes. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, stated income and yeah. I mean, it's yeah. Crazy. So and they had a couple of you know mm-hmm. products that don't exist in today's world, but they weren't and and they don't get enough credit for that. On the flip side, they don't get recognized enough for this like sales volume. You know, it's sure. like call, call, call yep. and get in touch with somebody, make some dials, make some contacts, and make some sales. Mm-hmm. And um, and so I remember helping a guy who needed to refinance, he needed a cash out refi, because mm-hmm. he had, you know, tons of credit card debt basically. And, you know, call it what you want, and and maybe it's not always the best plan. But for some folks who are never going to get out of this credit card debt, um, rolling it into their mortgage is a good thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And I would think in general, we don't want to just stack up our our mortgage debt either, but a much better scenario to add 35,000 at the time, probably around 6% interest um, than have the same amount, basically over a 25 year term is kind of how they factor that. Right. And Um, 22% or whatever they, yeah. But I also remember thinking to myself my friends over at you know the other company probably could have done more because mm-hmm. um because they did have more products available as a broker versus you know one specific lender. And um and so kind of like you I just didn't enjoy my time well you didn't say you didn't enjoy your time but I didn't enjoy my time and kind of like you because I felt I could be helping more somewhere else. So I joined them and I became yeah. a partner to, you know, two of the, uh, brokers and owners and stuff like that and stayed around for a while and eventually just figured this isn't uh, the life for me. Mm-hmm. It's ironic and, and funny as a 23, 24 and 25 year old with no kids. I was married, but I was like, you know, these, um, sporadic hours and all this stuff is just <laughs> not my lifestyle. And then I have two kids, and we started a moving company, and then <laughs> sold that off and transitioned into real estate. And I'm like, yeah, now that I'm getting older and have a family and a dog and you know stuff, now I want crazy hours, um, yep. inconsistent income, um, yep. all these things. So it's interesting, but you know that was kind of my uh, my path into it, and. Um, and so I have some experience on the mortgage side and, and knew a lot about title and stuff prior to, you know, getting into real estate. And so I, I personally lived it because I owned a home and I was involved with, you know, the beginning part of the crash. I mean, I had the beauty of being a, a mortgage broker is getting all these banks to come into your office and pitch their, uh, their programs. Yeah, I can just remember guys coming in saying, um, "Hey, uh, one of them was Bank of Arizona, who has not, you know, who went out of business. Surprise, surprise!" And they came in and they said, "You know, well, we have this uh, reverse—not reverse—we have this negative amortization mortgage, where um, the client has four options. Um, they can pay their normal principal and interest. They can pay um, like interest only, but there was." With- like And then there was like, well, we could also go um, where basically you make some form of a payment. I don't remember if it was interest only or not, but they tacked on what you didn't pay to your uh, mortgage balance and it would allow you to go up to like 110 or 115% loan to value. So you had negative equity, amortization. Yep. negative amortization yep. and we didn't do any of them. And, you know, we did business with Bank of Arizona for other loan products, but not that one. But, I mean, this guy was like, guys, you can get paid four points, which was 4% of the loan amount. Yeah. And at the time, there were no restrictions. So, really, the company could have charged, say, a one-point origination fee, your normal closing costs, which you got a little bit as a lender, you know, as the banker or whatever, plus this 4%. I mean, and all they were saying was, hey… Just tell your clients it's a tool in the toolbox. They could pay the principal and interest just like on your other loan that you're selling from Chase or Bank of America or whoever. Or they have these other options, you know. Or maybe they want to, you know, at the holidays or something like that. They want to go on a nice vacation, so they could go interest only that month. It's just nice that they have those choices, you know. And it's like, now this is a bad idea. And uh, and I sometimes, some, sometimes too
2: many choices is a bad thing
0: yeah you know I mean, especially
2: like like if you look at basic human psychology, if you have the option of making three payments thousand dollars five hundred dollars two hundred dollars, and you you get used to making that two hundred dollar payment, making that five hundred dollar payment is much more difficult. you know what I mean, or if you're making a thousand dollar payment and it hurts, you might skip to the two hundred dollar payment and just uh, it's it's a recipe for disaster, certain fiscally sound and savvy borrowers can make use of it and they could really you know, utilize the program the way it should be used, but it's it's bad news bears. That's the way I looked at. It. And, and honestly, to, to go back to what you were talking about at uh, when you worked at Wiccan, you know, one of the issues I had is, like you said, I didn't mind working there. I like this. I like the company. I like you know the philosophy. It's the sales approach I didn't appreciate. If I had someone, call, you know, talk to someone that, for instance, I had an uh, older lady that was a, wit- a widower. She. Couldn't afford her mortgage payment anymore. And she didn't know what to do. And I was talking about a reverse mortgage, actually, at the time. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this is the way for you to stay in your home the rest of the way. Your kids don't want the house. You know what I mean? You can keep your house. But she was just unsure. She had never heard of it. It was a new product. And so she wasn't sure. Now, in the philosophy we were told there is if someone's unsure or giving you pushback, move on to the next person. But I couldn't do that. This is a lady who had worked her entire life. Her husband had built that house. They had been there for sixty years. She had nowhere else to go. I couldn't just walk past. I was the expert. I knew that there was a solution that would let her stay in that house and keep her lifestyle. She just didn't know about it, and it was incumbent upon me, and I think, as a good human, to kind of make sure i had I gave her enough time to really think about it and gave her enough information to really be informed. And be patient enough for her to come to that decision on her own. You know, it's one of those things where you know they don't want you to call a second or third or fourth time. I, I'm not going to give up on somebody if I think it's going to help them materially. It is what it is. And and you know, it, it's interesting working here because we are a direct lender, but it's it's interesting because we're we're the number three largest lender in the country that no one's ever heard of. Yeah, you will know, say is we're the largest, but uh, the smallest large company in the in, in the country. You know. <laughs> In the country, we have 10,000 employees. No one's ever heard of us. Yeah, but it's because we operate in a different way. You know, we're not out there grabbing leads and trying to convert everybody in the world. The philosophy we really subscribe to here is, you know, treat every client like your only client every single time. You know what I mean? It, one-on-one co- contact. So take your time to really build that rapport, build the situation, get a feeling for what they really want because. You can help them on this transaction, you can help on the next transaction, you can help them, you know, twenty years down the line if you set it up correctly, if you could help them build their plan correctly. You know what I mean? And and that's what I appreciate the most here is that we have the, the freedom and the opportunity to really spend as much time as as we deem necessary to help our clients out. And we don't have, you know, someone above us yelling at us trying to tell us to move on to the next one or something like that.
1: Yeah. And I think you also don't have um the scenario of, okay, um, interest rates dropped half a percent in the last 30 days. We're moving everybody from the purchase side over to the refinance side. If someone's yeah. trying to purchase, they can take 60 days to close. We'll do the refinance and make some money. Okay, interest rates went up. There's a lot of purchase transactions. We're going to lay off all the refinance team, and then we're going to have purchase only. The refinances are going to take 75 days to close, and we'll do the purchase. Really, <laughs> I don't think you have that going on. And that's... No a big advantage. And, and one of the reasons, you know, that I continue to work with uh, with you guys um, is, you know, that and many other reasons that we could you know get into. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, the, the, like I said, we're a direct lender, but the, the nice thing is
2: the way that they've allowed us to set our team up is we operate without any constraints. We don't have any handcuffs on us. We, have, we can, we run our business the way we want to. We can focus on what we want to. And I mean, we have basically the freedoms that bro- brokers have, but with the stability and the backing of a direct lender, sure. and, and that's what's nice about it. And then we have all the credit repair resources, we have all the marketing resources and that that are available to a large corporation, but without the the normal handcuffing that goes along with it. You know what I mean? And, and that's kind of why we like it because it's kind of a best of both worlds scenario.
1: Well, I think I'm friends with and, and do business with someone who is you know still on the broker side, mm-hmm. and then. Um, you know, people that are direct and I don't know that it's as big of a discrepancy as it used to be because you have Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, you know, for the most part guiding just about everything now. And, um, you know, unless you're literally independent and you're making your own guidelines and not getting secured by the government, then, um, the products don't drastically change. Yes, there are a few things that are different. And yes, sometimes some you know, someone might do uh Mishta and someone might not, or you know, little stuff like right. that. But at the end of the day, it's not quite the same as like when we had, you know, Bank of Arizona, Chase, City, yeah, 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 yeah. Bank of America, you know, uh thirty years ago a broker may have thirty products to choose from and a direct lender may
2: have four. You know what I mean? And so it made a lot more sense to go where someone may have a, the perfect fit for you. But like you said, after the crash, you know, the government regulated everything. Now everybody has the same products. We play in the same on the same field at the same rates. Yeah, It really kind of comes down to service and, and speed of service also. I mean, quality of service management, also
1: speed. And unfortunately, I think back then when you needed a mortgage broker, it's probably because you needed to go – Um, No income, no asset, no job. You you had an unconventional situation (laughs) or or, uh, an unusual situation. At the time, there was only a couple of big lenders (laughs) that were doing that. And what do you know? They're also out of business today. Like Countrywide.
0: Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Countrywide
1: just disappeared from number three lender to gone. (laughs) So, you know, uh, apparently they had some things wrong. and. We can only laugh about it now because you can either laugh or cry, first of all. Yep. And then also, fortunately, it's now between 8 to 12 years behind us, depending on where you live and, and your yep. specific scenario. And probably by now, if you're in the exact same home, you've not only gained back what you lost, but you have probably surpassed it. And I know yep. there are pockets of our state and of the country that that's, not, that's still not true mm-hmm. um, for the most part. That would be true um so i think that kind of almost and you asked me how do i prepare i said just tell me about yourself and we'll go right yeah and, and so here we are just naturally we've flown right into all right now it's present day it's uh, mm-hmm. july 2021 and number one um there's an inventory shortage across america mm-hmm. number two, interest rates are still low They're maybe a little higher than they were at the beginning or the end of the last year but they're still pretty damn low yeah um it's actually kind of getting a little bit harder to get a mortgage i feel like some conventional mortgages are almost requiring a 700 credit score or you know they're doing something so we got all these things and i think the first question that comes up is you know are we in a bubble and if so when's it gonna burst or are we heading into another recession? And I answer that question all the time. um, And I try to say as often as possible what we believe is the case, but I guess I'm looking for not support, but a secondary opinion, you know, are we in a bubble? And if so, is it gonna pop? And if not, why not? And then also, you know, are we going to crash? Are we going to re- have a recession sometime soon in the next, you know, six months to a year, with these prices going up and up and up, and the things that we're seeing in the market? I, 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 I definitely
2: think that we're going to hit a ceiling when it comes to the pricing. You know, if you if you look at basic economics, it, it, you reach a point where you're you're going to outstrip demand. It, it, you know what I mean? Or sorry. The, the pricing is going to get, get to a level where demand won't keep up with it. You know what I mean? Like you're, you're, you're pricing yourself out of the market at, at some point. You know, there's only X amount. There's only so much someone's willing to pay to live in that area so, or have the money available to put down on the house. You know what I mean? But the way I look at it is I, I don't think it's an, a bubble necessarily because I think what you, what we're seeing is what you just touched on. People are finally seeing that equity growth and, and the the value increases that. I think we would have seen in a normal market in 2007 hadn't happened. What happened was that was super heated, way overinflated, and everybody in the world got mortgages. And I mean, the thing that we never talk about about 2007 is the issue wasn't just the mortgages; it was how many people were pulling equity out of their their homes to buy things like boats and motorcycles and everything else that. You put yourself underwater
1: if there's even a slight correction. So and I think I to to, now, I'm sorry to jump in because that's yep. really annoying on a microphone. But you know, if anyone's watching, then I am you know putting my hands together because that is one of the first things I try to point out is that equity in the marketplace today versus then is so different.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, so first and foremost, you have these weird mortgage products that don't exist. Secondly. Everybody was pulling equity out to do other things, or take care of themselves, or whatever. You know, so not everyone did it for bad reasons, oh, right? Of course, yeah, of course. Um, some people just did it some because people. they were like, well, wait, why wouldn't I? Like yeah, I invest in the invest in the
2: market, or because someone got sick, <laughs> or you want to do a renovation. No, I mean there were, there were all kinds of reasons for it. You know what I mean? the The issue was everybody was doing it, and I think what we've learned now is it, people have learned that you you save that for when it's necessary. You know what I mean? You don't just try to use the equity stake willy-nilly or, or be on a whim. You know, it, it has to be a thought-out, calculated move in a plan. And, and you're 100% right. Based on what writing mortgages 12, 13 years ago, the people I talk to now are in a better position. They are better educated, and generally they have more equity, not just because, you know, their uh, the values increased, but they got smarter about how they're making payments. I mean, I can't tell you how many people I know right now are making double payments paying every two weeks or making extra payments when they can because they've learned that you can really, really pay down your principal that way. You know, simple thing, you know, paying twice uh, twice a month. You can knock years off your, your mortgage doing it that way, you know, instead of once a month. It's an extra payment every year. They go straight to principal. So it's, it's one of those things where I think the consumer themselves have gotten sad and they they're they're understanding their their property a little better I think you know we since the 50s we were on this swing up where you thought if you buy property it's automatically going to appreciate in value You're autom- it's a piggy bank you never have to worry about you know any fluctuations things of this sort and I, I, and obviously it's like touching a hot stove 2007 was touching a hot stove you know people learned their lesson yeah and I, I think they're a little little a little, uh, little more careful than they used to be and you know I, I think there's some silver lining to what happened because of that you know, um it, it shook it, it knocked all the dirty players out of the, the industry, which is awesome.
0: Mm-hmm. You
2: know, like you were talking about people that were pushing negative amortization or just stated income, stated asset loans that had no backing or whatever. You know, it pushed all those guys out of the market. It made the government pay attention, which generally is a bad thing, but in this one I'm not really minding because sometimes you need someone to mind the store. You know, you can't let <laughs> you yeah. can't let everything just kind of go wild. And and but all that is what leads me to believe that there's a, this isn't a ball that's going to pop i think we're going to see a little bit of a decrease in, in pricing but i think that's going to be because we're going to see an increase in inventory not because of some kind of change materially in the market or in demand i think we're just going to have a larger supply i think people have been holding off they've had time to redo their homes you know especially covid you sat there you stared at your four walls and you realize you need more than yeah. that yeah. you know um and, I, and I, I, we're, I, I feel like we're seeing it a bit in Michigan, actually. Like, you know, a lot of our realtors in Michigan are starting to see a little bit of breathing, a little bit of, of slowdown in the, the, the skyrocketing prices. In Las Vegas, it hasn't occurred yet. We're, we have other constraints here. We're a valley, plus there's, the government owns basically all the land mm-hmm. around Las Vegas. So it's a very small box we can play in. So it's artificially uh, constrained, basically. But I mean, from what I can tell in Michigan, it seems like it's it's kind of the market's
1: breathing a little bit better than it has in a while. What do you think? As a whole, I would say that answer is yes. And again, I can certainly point out areas and price points that that's not the case. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, I think some some things too are you know, as agents, our job is to get our client the best deal, and that might mean financially, it might mean you know. Um, something else as far as like what they're looking for in the house. You know, there's a lot of different ways you you say that, but in, when you're working on the selling side, yes, multiple offers is good because we can go through the, the, the resume so to speak and try to pick the best candidate. Right. But at the same time, I think that it's crazy to get 20 and 30 offers, you know, in a matter of 36 hours. And so I think some agents are starting to kind of start working with the seller to say, all right, if we start getting offers, we got to call it at some point and you mm-hmm.
0: know
1: move on something. Um, keeping in mind, you, you might, you know, have the best offer or rescind their offer if you wait too long too. So there's, yeah. that, you know, talk about gamble. It's, you know, it's an analogy I suppose to make because you got to kind of try and figure that out. And because of that, I do think that, it's been a little bit less crazy with, well, I got twenty seven offers and I sold a three hundred and fifty thousand dollar house for four hundred and twenty five thousand dollars. However, I think that because of what was going on, people are coming in as a second showing on a house and just automatically writing their first offer, you know for some amount over sometimes thirty. And Over, you know, I, um, I had a client go look at a house that was listed for 675 and that's, that's not the price point in Southeast Michigan. You know, it's a few hundred thousand dollars higher than, than standard. So 675 and they wanted to write an offer for 695 and give that $20,000 guarantee. Meaning if it only appraised at 675, they were going to give the 20,000 more. And um, the guy was like, well, <clears throat> I can save you some time. We have an offer for fifty five over with a $30,000 guarantee. And while I appreciated that, we were like the fifth people into the house. Um, so somebody right off the bat was like, here's, here's the offer. So I think that that's, so we're still seeing some weird numbers or some odd numbers, but we're just not running into the scenario where on a Friday I schedule for, you know, Saturday and then it's canceled. You know, like yeah. we're kind of getting through and seeing an extra day or two out of inventory and you know, yeah. stuff like that. Um, and I do believe to your point, what will eventually occur is even the people that are staying put today will be moving in a year or two. So we might not be quite near the end of this kind of short inventory, but at some point more people say, you know, um, now the average sale is up, you know, 13% and I know that we put 20 grand into the house during COVID, but we could probably get like an extra 30 grand plus what we were going to get, you know, Yep. and maybe move, you know, yep. and with some more houses. I personally have clients that would move, you know, because I have, yep. I have clients that are sitting on the sidelines saying, I can't they want somewhere to go. Yeah. Like I can't buy, yeah. you know, I'm too yep. sick you know um so so yeah it's it's a very different market for those you know those and many other reasons um, tell tell us more you know what's going on on the mortgage side of the industry what's you know everything pretty much is now backed by Freddie uh and Fannie and yep. you regardless of you know sometimes you even have your sheet in front of you and then you go to put it in and it still doesn't fit right yep. so like. So tell me more about that. Like, how does that happen? Oh, this guy's going to be conventional. Actually, we can't go conventional anymore. Um, I put it in, and we can't get that. Why? Do, why is that occurring? And do you see that as a good or a bad thing for the overall marketplace? Well, you can have changes. Uh, you know, going from conventional
2: to FHA to VA to Mista. You know, to um, Home Ready, whatever, you, whichever program. The issue that I think people struggle with when when Thinking about whether they qualify for mortgages, there's not one determining
0: factor. We look at three to four. I mean, there's three major credit, income, and then you know the value, loan to value. But
2: those can interact in odd ways. And because Freddie and Fannie have their stipulations. And they're different than each other that's the one thing to keep in mind they have two different sets of rules like uh-huh. we can look at a case and say you know what this one is better suited for freddie mag this is better for Fannie. you know what i mean it's it's unusual but that's the that's the game we play you know uh there can be unusual things like not enough assets which generally isn't a concern on like let's say you refinance where you don't need the assets but for whatever reason they want you to have x amount of assets before they're gonna allow you to you know use that program or. I mean, certain programs, it's too much income, honestly. Like some of these programs are only developed for people that are at a certain level. And if you make too much income or your credit's too good or you have too much money back, and that's the craziest one that I think I have to explain to people is they have too much money saved. Yeah. You know, um, it, it's counterintuitive. It sounds insane, but I don't make the rules. <laughs> I just try to, yeah, you know, play with them. But, uh, you know, the, the one thing, the what the mortgage industry is really going to right now is, the because our hands are tied on variety of products by the rules, and regulations, which I am all for. I really appreciate them. And I really like this aspect. It's forced mortgage companies to be smarter on and focus on customer service, cert, you know, client relations, making sure we do right by the client and we treat them the best way possible, you know, because that becomes a differentiator. that Everyone has the same rates. Everybody has the same programs. How do you stand out? How you stand out is by going above and beyond. Um, like for what we do is we do a 10-day guarantee for buyers. If you can get me your information so we can get you approved, we can guarantee that we'll close that loan within 10 days. Because when you're going up against a cash offer, you know people are usually reducing or disregarding your your uh, your finance offer because they think it's going to take too long or they're unsure. Well, we're, what we're telling them with the 10-day guarantee is we've already taken a look at their financial situation. They are good to go. We have everything ready to rock. We can close within 10 days. And then we guarantee that if we don't, we will pay you $250 a day, every day we're late. We've never had to pay it because we fly. Last one I did, I think we closed in eight days instead of 10. But what I love is the standardization of the products has forced mortgage companies to become much more customer service driven focused, which fits my narrative because that's what I, I, I appreciate. You know what I mean? I'm not out there. I don't. I don't care about rates. I don't even look at a rate sheet because we all play from the same rate sheets, right?
1: What I care about
2: is what's going on with my client. How can I help them? And what is the best position? You know, where is the best place for them to be? And so, this what, what this kind of structure has done is it has forced our forced our industry to be more client focused and less product focused. And and I love it. I think I think clients are going to benefit from that.
1: Yeah um do you have an easier or harder time doing uh a guarantee like that between michigan and nevada
2: no no um it's actually i will say this it's easier in nevada because what we have here is nevada the market is driven by money from california so you have all these people that are cashing out of their homes in california they bought them 20 years ago for three hundred thousand. now they're valued at 1.3 million So they have a million dollars that, I mean, and they probably pay the mortgage out in the meantime, but they have, you know, a million dollars in cash to use. And what they've realized that, you know, that $500,000 house in California, which is a shack by the, you know, by the freeway in Las Vegas, you can buy a home with the pool, infinity pool with great views, that type of thing. Sure. And so they started just dumping their money into California, into Las Vegas, into the Valley. So you're just seeing cash buy, cash buy, cash buy. That actually takes me back to what you were saying about, uh, multiple offer situations. What I hear from local agents is that their biggest frustration is these California buyers will put in four or five different cash offers, sight unseen on these properties, get them all accepted, and then they will, you know, use the 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 inspection uh, period to kind of pick and choose what they want to actually go with. Yeah. which is completely and horribly unfair to all the other buyers and completely unfair to, all, to the sellers, right? Cause you're wasting their time and energy, yeah. but they don't care because I mean, they're not beholden to anybody, obviously. So uh, what you were talking about with multiple offers actually really, really fits in here because what people are finding is that an offer submitted is only as good as the person submitting it. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and, and that sometimes it's a little more, um, it's a smarter play to work with someone you know is serious. Than just jumping at a number because you see it, you know what I mean. And, and that—that's uh, sorry to go off on a tangent, but I was thinking about that when you were talking about offers, and it's something that they—they they deal with here. But um, yeah, so in in Las Vegas, because of all the cash coming in, uh, finance offers have to be as pretty as possible. And obviously, the the easy ways people try to guarantee, you know, appraisal—they try to guarantee or wave inspection, which whew, <laughs> no comment on that one. Not a big fan. So, so, but so someone like that, the ten-day guarantee is nice because I, when I call that selling agent and I tell them, hey, you know, my client put in an offer, wanted to let you know it's fully underwritten, it's good to go. Like there are no constraints or issues that could slow this down, other than obviously an appraisal, which in this market isn't really slowing it down. Uh, it's basically the same as cash, you know what I mean? And and they've the the agents have learned that really quickly that if we call with one of these guarantee ten-day guarantees, like. You can count on it closing it's it's not going to fall out it's it's a good 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 you know uh, loan and i think I think it, it, it gets more play in, in Las Vegas because we're running up against cash much more than we are in Michigan
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, but yeah i mean it's it's somewhere it's something that should be utilized everywhere I, I believe, obviously
1: yeah, well, you know um that phrase "tool in the toolbox you know was used inappropriately when you're trying to sell you know negative amortization loans but. Yeah it generally is a good, you know, it's generally a good phrase and a good thing to have, right? Yep. Something extra in your side, something extra in your bag that you can pull out yep. and use, um, you know, accordingly. And kind of to your point, uh, to your, you know, people writing and getting multiple offers accepted, that's a conversation that I've had for the last five years. You know, people always ask, can I write more than one offer? Well, what if they both get accepted? And my answer is always, well, we're really going to have to be really case by case, you know, and um, it's something that we can do, but it's certainly not something we want to be doing on a regular yep. basis. Um, and I say partially because I am going to stay in this industry. So yep. if yep. I like, send an offer to people. It, I rescind it or every time I send it you know we basically pay for an inspection just so we can you know cancel the order um you're going to stop accepting my offers yep. and that's yep. gonna through a client who is legit um, mm-hmm. so i can count on one hand how many times i've done that you know and i can give a lot of good reasons for why you would do it um especially if you're probably not going to get one accepted, but it's like, well, I'd love this house. If I could do it at this price, I would do it. But you know, now I could probably be the best offer on this house. You know, that's a gamble. Maybe that's worth taking, but right. um, knock on wood, I haven't had any of those, both of those uh, offers accepted. And you know, as long as I don't make it a steady practice, I'm sure I never will. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah,
2: yeah that's, it's one of those things where we were talking about saying, you know, doing this long term. you know, that might, be uh, a good plan for short term, you know what I mean. But like you said, as an agent, no one's ever going to trust you again after that. Yeah, and, 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 and I, I don't know. I, I, I just, I guess maybe I, I shouldn't be equating um, my own, I guess, not morals into this or whatever. But I just, I, it feels dirty because you're 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 messing with other people's money and you're messing with their livelihood and and the seller's lives. You know what I mean? They could be turning down an offer from a qualified buyer who needed to have that house or whatever
1: because you just. I don't know. It's it's something about it. Just kind of. I don't. I don't. I don't like very much. Definitely not a good practice because to you know to your point, um, I might have brought you a great great offer, but this one's cash and equivalent, and so it yep. does because you know this falsehood has started to die down. But cash is not always king. Yep. Um it is king when it is exactly the same as the other offers because you're normally alleviating appraisal, you're normally mm-hmm. going faster. Um, if they need occupancy, you can probably skirt some time that you can't do yep. in a mortgage, you know. But if you're offering less than the others, then the cash isn't better. Um, not anymore. And so the point is is that you lost, you gave up this great offer. And then a few days later, you might call that that agent back because now you're back on market and say, "Hey, are they still interested?" And we might have gotten our offer accepted on another house. Yep. And I can say this: while I'm not writing offers concurrently, I'll I'll write an offer on a Friday, and we'll still go see our showings on Saturday. Oh, of course. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Hundred percent. Because you just never know. So right. nothing wrong with that. No, I mean there's nothing at all wrong with that. Well, I have backup, right? I have backup. So you tell yeah. me, call. Oh, now we're writing an offer on this one, and maybe that one gets accepted. Um, the only upside is um, I've been fortunate twice now this year, where I don't know if that was that case or something other, or maybe it was all legit. But the first offer fell apart, and because you know we did our part on the back end as agents and lenders, and reached out and had communication and showed qualification and this and that. Then when the first deal fell apart, we were not even the second highest, but they were like, all right, now we're gonna go with a guy that's probably gonna close. Yeah. Right. And um, and so you know, it worked out for my clients. And um so it can it can help some, but it certainly is not the a, a great method. Yeah. Um, what else? You know, I don't wanna keep it too long and and you know, I appreciate all the time you are giving. Um but like, you know, what else do you see, whether it's just local, you know, because I don't have a perspective of uh, yep. something a couple thousand miles away. And it's always interesting. I want to talk to somebody in the Phoenix area, I think next week. Um, you know, it's just good to know. And also, I believe what happens out west eventually happens in the Midwest anyways. So, you know, is there anything more coming our way? Uh, another wave of anything that you see out there? Oh,
0: I mean, I I, I think right now. No, I mean people.
2: People are just holding on. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's so the mar- The way the way, way the market is, it, it's it's tight. I think we're going to keep seeing money coming out of California. You're going to see if if you have any investors, I will tell you to start looking at Idaho. You're going to see Idaho go through the roof. Um, Texas, I think we're going to see a bit of a slowdown. I think that that got a little hot. I don't think people are going to going that way. I think Phoenix, Arizona, uh, and uh, Nevada, and um, sorry, Utah, that's the one I was looking for. Utah, there's the, basically the western desert states, including if you add Idaho in there, are going to be um, next 5-10 years, you're going to see a lot of people moving there. You have everyone moving out of California. From no, no Cal. they're going, you know, Idaho, Wyoming, they're buying big ranches. We get a lot of people that, because, you know, a lot of our business is coming east, so we're, we see where it's going, and a lot of our agents are in California, and they tell us where their clients are going, and it's basically Nevada, Arizona, Texas, or Idaho, a little bit of Utah, but Utah has some other issues, that I think the Californians aren't uh, fans of some other constraints
0: yeah. in their lifestyle. Yeah. But uh, you know, money is moving moving uh, this way. I think, to be honest, I think we're
2: in a market where you really can't predict the future. I think we're in we're in a unique place. You know what I mean? Like we've had some really unusual things with COVID really happen. You know, I think that made the inventory obviously even more uh, restrained and constrained. And I think that.
0: You know, at at this point, you know, I guess the only things I really believe is I don't I don't think it's a bubble. Cause I think we're gonna see a slow kind of
2: pressure release when it comes to the 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 supply crunch. Um, but I, I don't see it tightening anymore. You know, it's not like we're gonna go down to zero homes for sale or anything like that. You know, I think we're basically as tight as it can be. People are still gonna move, people are changing jobs, people are downsizing, upsizing, going to school. You know, I mean, things are always going to happen. Lifestyle, life changes are always going to happen. So they're always going to be constant change. I think that we we've had that artificially decreased because of COVID, on top of a market that was already a little tight. And so we're just, I think we're basically at the tightest it's going to be. That's the way I see it. I think we're it's, we're going to see a relaxation. I think it's a great thing. Most people think the opposite. They're like, you know, don't you love when the prices rise? No, I want to help as many people as possible. You know what I mean? Like. Yeah. Yeah, if I can help ten people buy a hundred thousand dollar house, I'd rather do that than one person buy a million dollar house. I don't know. That's just I just help ten people instead of one, you know. I, I for me that's a better equation.
1: Yeah, well I agree. And I also think it's um you know, a part of our job that does suck is telling people no, right? So yeah, 100%. like you can't get the deal. Um, hey, the deal fell apart, you know, whatever. So, you know, without some of this craziness, I mean we've had multiple offers going on you know, I've been around for five years and for five mm-hmm. years, you know, so and, and longer because I bought the house that I'm in eight years ago and we had multiple offers eight years ago. So, you know, it's been happening. It's just that it didn't seem to happen on almost every single property. Cool. Like it seems to, seemingly it's happening now. Correct. And don't get me wrong. I'll send you 40 houses later that show that had price decreases. You know, if you're still inappropriately priced, you still don't sell right away. Yeah. Um, But, you know, if you're even within reason, people at least take a stab at it. Yeah. And, you know, something we didn't really get to is that whole appraisal side of things. And that is, you know, even with an appraisal guarantee, the deal can fall apart because the guarantee may have said, you know, going back to my 675 deal, well, we'll give you the 20,000. What if it actually only appraised for 625?
0: Yep. You know, depending on that
1: language, the deal might still fall apart because the seller's not going to sell for 645 They thought they were selling above 675 You know, yep. so the appraisal is still a big factor, and that's a big important thing when we're putting offers together and when we're listing our property. You know, you have to have a starting point, it has to be somewhere in the ballpark of where it's probably going to appraise just well, in case. Just in case, right? Just in case suddenly. Yeah, you're you're 100% right,
2: because we, we've seen that where someone has overpriced the, 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 the home and had accepted offers, but you just can't get it to praise anywhere near. Uh, there's one uh, on the west side of the state of Michigan, actually, where we had where it sold for, I think it was 100000 over ask. Mm-hmm. But the problem is, you're you They were never going to get it to appraise anyone near that. So you were not actually going to complete the sale because right. basically every time. And I think if I remember correctly, they went through three different transactions, three different appraisals each time, didn't come close, and they had guarantees on them, but not enough to cover the difference. And so, it's it's one of those things where. You, you have to be smart and, and understand you want to maximize your profits as much as possible. But at, at a certain point, you're going to reach where you're you're doing yourself a disservice. You know what I mean? you're stepping over a dollar to make a nickel. You know what I mean? That's, that's how I look at it. Because yeah, I mean, let's say you're downsizing. You just made three four extra mortgage payments that you didn't have to make. You know what I mean? Let's say you're doing, you're going to invest it and invest that money into something else. You just lost that opportunity cost. You know what I mean? So you have to take a holistic approach and look at your, your financial situation and not base it all on one aspect. And I, I feel
1: like if you do, that's when things go sideways. Yeah. Um, anything about the RPM, you know, team that we need to know uh, other than anything we've already talked about that you wanted to get out out there off your chest? Um,
2: not really. I mean, like I said, we're I'm not a salesman. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> here to, we're here to help.
0: That's, that's basically
2: Michigan, Nevada, California. We do refinances and purchases. Obviously, we're just here to help. If anyone has any resources, and, and honestly, like we're available even if if you're in a different state or you're moving anywhere else, and you just want to chat or you have questions or concerns, always here to help and and, and be a resource to you. Um, but yeah, we have obviously team members in Michigan. We have team members here, so we are local. If you want to meet with us in person,
1: you know we're happy to do so. Yeah, right. we're not all centers and stuff. So um, for sure, you know it doesn't have to be uh, a long distance relationship so to speak. Yeah of course of course I mean the, my ideal is hey if you're in Michigan and you want to fly out to
2: Vegas to meet me I'm down for that as well. <laughs> oh. you know, like in town, it'll be the it'll be the best application
0: you ever put in. You know what I mean? Like we'll have a great time.
1: Guaranteed. Yeah. All right so then so then if someone has mortgage needs how should they reach out to you or the team? What's uh what's the contact you want to put out there? Uh my cell phone is 734
2: 644 Zero three six two, or you can just shoot us an email at rpmteam at fairwaymc.com so rpmteam at fairwaymc.com or 734-644-0362 all right people with the v that'll
0: wrap it up brother i appreciate it thanks for having me on all right we'll see ya yep bye